As we start this morning, I want you to reflect on a few verses with me. Pay attention to the yellow capitalized words as you go down speaking about Jesus. Notice as you look at these verses... As you look at those verses, I want you to think about there was something that Jesus did. It says you should try to copy Jesus. So that's what I'm doing here this morning because (laughs) the theme of our church is more people, more like Jesus. I'm just praying as I would leave to go to the new church plant that the staff would be willing to learn to be more like Jesus <laughs> as they go forward here in the future. This morning, it's our privilege, actually, to finish up the book of Philippians, which is a very powerful book, and I'm sure that many of you have enjoyed the teaching that has come from the different ones, Pat and Brad and Kurt and those that taught. It's a very, very powerful book. And as, as we think about it, remember last week, if you were here, Pat went over the idea of being content. The book of Philippians was written at least for one reason. The church at Philippi had sent a gift to the apostle Paul, and he wanted to acknowledge that gift that he received when he was in that Roman imprisonment. That's one of the reasons. In fact, that's part... <coughs> of the reason as you look at the end of this letter, we're going to reflect upon. But last week, remember that we learned about being content. In fact, the scripture says in Philippians 4, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I find myself. And that was true of Paul. And one thing he was saying to this church at at Philippi is that I have found my contentment in something much deeper than a gift. Whether I abound or I have little, I am content in God. And that is an important lesson for us that we learned last week, that we can be content no matter what the circumstances, we can be content in our Lord. And he certainly wanted the Philippians to understand that. Today we'll talk about provision, and I think it really can be connected to the word content. John MacArthur says, those who live for themselves will never be content. Only those who unselfishly put others' well-being above their own will find contentment. And that's a true statement. And Paul was endeavoring to teach and to say that as he comes to this letter. For us to understand the last verses of this letter, it's actually important for us to know the history, review the setting that we get when we first studied this book. And I just want to remind you that the second missionary trip is when this church at Philippi was founded, about 52 A.D., Paul actually passed through this area a number of times, but he ends up in a Roman prison, and it's, it's not the, the, the 
the dungeon, but he has, it's sort of house arrest. So he has liberties there to speak to people. And that was in 62 AD. So it's 10 years after the church was first founded. So I do want you to think about this. When the Philippians received this letter, there wasn't a single one of them that was more than 10 years old in the Lord. Remember that as you think through the last verses. The other thing that's important for us to understand is the geography involved at the end of this letter. So let me just point out several things that will help you to understand the significance. Notice in the very center you have Troas, which is in Asia, and it was from there that the Spirit of God sent a vision to Paul from Macedonia, which you see over the sea there, come over and help us. So God directed towards Europe, and Paul, obeying the vision, and Silas, they went across, and they ended up in, in Europe. And there were some exciting stories that took place in Europe. If you study the book of Acts at all, it's an exciting book. When he got to Philippi, remember when he was there, he, um, he ran into a lady, Lydia, remember, a seller of purple? And right there, God opened her heart and changed her life. Then he ended up in the Philippian jail, remember? And they sang hymns to God. God sends that earthquake down, shakes the prison and yet through that, the Philippian jail, jailer asked the question, what must I do to be saved? And Paul responds, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And then he spent a number of days there in, in, in Philippi. But then as he leaves, he passes through two of those cities, if you look up on the map, and he arrives in a city called Thessalonica. There's another powerful work that takes place in that city. I also want to draw to your attention, again, the name of the provinces here, because that'll be important for you to understand the verses that we're going to look at. Notice in the north of Greece, it's called Macedonia. In Macedonia, you have the towns of Philippi, you have Thessalonica, you have Berea. God did a strong work in each of those cities. Now, to the south, you have another province called Achaia. In Achaia, you have Athens, you have Corinth, but it's a different section. So keep that in mind as we go through what we're going to read here. Just make sure that's in place. The history and the geography. It's important as you study the Bible to familiarize yourself with these surroundings. So Paul writes in this last chapter, and if you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to open up to Philippians chapter 4. Let me read one verse that's not on the screen. Philippians chapter 4, 10. It says this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again you renewed your care for me. Now I want you to understand what's going on. As Philippi sends Epaphroditus with a gift, and he arrives there in Rome. As that gift arrives, Paul says, I, I rejoice greatly, because again, again, you're sending to my need. And as soon as Paul thinks that, there are loads of memory 
that come into the Paul's life that are reflected on this letter. As you look at that very first verse, it says, and you Philippians yourselves. That is an intensive pronoun in the Greek. It really brings in emotion, conviction, and you yourselves, you Philippians. He's going back and thinking of how special this church was. Because notice as he goes down, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. This was a special church. There's no other church that is named in the New Testament but this church in the area of giving. Can you see how special this church was to Paul? All sorts of memories were coming into his life as he thought about the church. I hope you have memories that do that for you. I think back of my time in Carroll that was special to me because just this last week I went down to the boys basketball tournament and uh, it's a yearly thing that I go down with the O'Toole family. There's a lot of O'Tooles. And we go down there and we bet big on those games. In fact, I, I can come away losing as much as $2 on some of those games. This year, I actually only lost 25 cents. And the reason was is because I won. I guessed one of the games, which was sort of hilarious because they accused me of cheating. What happened was, as I was sitting and we picked out scores, and I saw Frank, Frank picked almost the exact score I did. I said, this isn't going to work. So I turned to Tony, who was keeping the scores. I said, Tony, why don't you take my score and just give me the other team? Switch the teams. Frank said, you can't do that. You already gave of course, some of the sons spoke up. No, he can do it as before the game, which I did, and I won. And therefore, I was called a cheat, but that wasn't true. But when I think of the O'Toole's, I think about the night that I arrived at that door. I remember Frank's face as I went through my story of salvation, glued, listening and Maggie's as well. And I remember because of that encounter and those that followed that they gave their hearts to Christ and their family was changed. And it ended up touching numbers of lives. And then the Wiedemeyers were involved in that, the Malloys, just a whole group of families, which I rejoice because some of those are going to be a part of the new church plant. So that excites me. So maybe there'll be more memories that'll be made. But what I am saying is this. The Apostle Paul, his mind was filled with memories as he was writing back to this church. I want you to understand that, the setting of this letter. He goes on to say, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That's the well-known verse in this section. You've heard that verse many times. We'll understand that verse in the, in the setting that it was given. Those are the verses we're asked to look at. Now, 
Here's the first point. God's work of grace in the lives of both the giver, that's the church at Philippi, and the receiver, that's the apostle Paul, yields a beautiful sacrifice, a sweet-smelling fragrance to God. Now let's just walk through this a little bit and unfold that. Pat told us last week for this, he brought this verse, powerful verse, for this I toil, struggling with all, notice, his energy that he powerfully works within me. And then he made this statement, not Christ and you, but Christ in you, trying to help us understand there is a divine work that takes place in every believer. Once you receive Christ, the Spirit of God comes into your life, and there is a divine energy possibility of serving God. Now, we're going to say, well, what does that look like? I'm glad you asked because we're going to take a little look here at how that looks in this occasion right here. First of all, to the giver. The giver, the church at Philippi. There was immediate giving. Remember on the map that I showed you, it showed that there was Philippi, then two other towns, and then Thessalonica. And, and as you consider that, as you look at that, you will find that Paul went to Thessalonica. What happened at Thessalonica? Well, it says in 1 Thessalonians, I'll just read this, and you yourselves became an imitators of us, of the Lord, when in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy. Now notice that. Paul says there was severe persecution that was taking place in Thessalonica. How did the Philippians respond to that? The Philippians heard about that, and they said, we need to send help to Paul. So immediately they sacrificially gave so that Paul, with his work of making tents, but adding to that, that he would have the support that was needed. These were young believers within a month of their salvation. My question to us, is that natural to give like that right off the bat? But you know, it even goes deeper than that because we get a picture of these Philippians from 2 Corinthians 8. Here Paul writes, we want to know, brothers, about the grace of God. And I do want to emphasize when you look at verses, notice that, the grace of God. This is a work of grace in the lives of those in Macedonia, but Macedonia includes Thessalonica, includes Philippi, includes Berea. But notice about the grace of God that has been given among the churches at Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme Poverty have overflowed. Now, I want you to note that this area is described as extreme poverty. Now, notice it even describes it even more. It says, have overflowed in the wealth of generosity on their part, for they, according to their means, and as I can testify, beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us, for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Now, several things are occurring here, but it still gives you a description of the people. They did send an offering to Paul several times at Thessalonica. They also send one 10 years later. They also were involved 
in sending relief to the churches at Jerusalem. But notice something here. This convicts me every time I read it. Notice what they were doing. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief. You know why Paul was reluctant to receive this? Because he looked at the needs in Jerusalem and he looked at the needs at Philippi and he said, I think you Philippians are just as poor as the people that are going to receive this offering. And they said, we don't care. We want to participate. And I back off and I look at that and I marvel because remember it says it's the grace of God that is producing this. I want to point that out, but it is powerful to watch this take place. They are giving to Paul out of their poverty. Is that natural? That's divine, folks. But you know, it's not just the giver that goes through this. Paul, the receiver. Now watch how this takes place. The first response, Paul is more conscious of the well-being of the giver than the gift. And second response, he's fully thankful for the gift. Now watch the verses again as you look at it. Not that I seek the gift. Remember, he's content in whatever place. But I seek fruit that increases to your credit. Paul is more interested in the Philippians and their eternal investment and the joy that the Philippians are going to receive because they gave more than the gift itself. Folks, I've been on the mission field before. I know what it is to have needs. And I know what it is to receive a donor gift to bail you out, whether it's a need for a car or, or repair or to come home. And my first response is, oh, the need's been met. Thank you, Lord. It's not what Paul is thinking, is it? He looks beyond a gift. He is excited that the Philippians themselves are going to be eternally rewarded for their sacrifice. And my question to you, to me, is that natural? Then naturally he goes on. Now, after he does that, then he says, I, I've received full payment. Notice the sequence here, though. It's not the gift. Yes, he's thankful for the gift. I have received full payment from Epaphroditus, the gifts, a fragrant offering, all of that. I am so thankful. But before he says that, he talks about the credit to their amount. And I look at both sides here, and I say to myself, this is not natural. What's going on? And the only explanation is the power of God is at work in the lives of these people. Folks, this should be our experience as well. Let me just bring up several things as I was thinking through, going through the whole idea of, of the Spirit of God working. I just thought of several things. I said, you know, is, aren't there times when you 
someone comes up to you and wants to hear and all of a sudden it gets into spiritual things and you start to give verses and tell them about Christ and you walk away from the experience and you say, wow, I didn't know I could say that. Or aren't there times when somebody offends you and says things against you and you're not angry? And you wonder, why, why am I not angry at that person? Or sometimes something happens to your family that just overwhelms you. And, and yet, at the same time, you're at peace. And you almost think, I should be upset. I should be in a frenzy. I, I'm not. Or sometimes maybe your spouse dips out of control. I, I like to use the word dips because it's just sort of gentle. I know that sometimes when we have spats, they're not so gentle, but I'm just going to use the word dips. But what happens if it dips out of control and you're receiving maybe the bad end of it and yet you're at peace? You're calm and you wonder, why do I do that? I'm just saying to you, if things like that happen, and they should It's not coming from you. It's the Spirit of God that's at work. Now, I wish I could say we do this all the time. I mean, if we did do this all the time, Pastor Kurt could retire. (laughs) And I pray that when you become aware of that spirit working within you, you would bow your head and say, thank you, God, because I, not, I know that's not who I am. Thank you. And then plead with God, oh, God, I pray this would become more consistent in my life, that the spirit of God would have victories over me. That's what the Christian life is, folks. We're as bad as what we used to be. It's just the Spirit of God is there to give us victory if we'll let him. That's what it means, walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Are these, does this describe your conduct? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Let's pray that God really does a work within us. That's what it looks like in this case. Now, number two, it produces a sweet-smelling fragrance to God. The Lord smells the pleasing aroma. When we live like that, God is pleased. Don't you want to offer sacrifices like that to God by the way that you're living? Secondly, God's plan in the area of provision, the giver partners with the apostle in the work of the ministry. Did you pick that up as as you read and as you think through? That's where Paul says, I want fruit to abound to their account. As you look at the whole letter, it brings this out of partnership with Paul. Paul is so excited about this church because they have been partners with him, partners in the gospel. Chapter 1, verse 5, partners with me of the grace. Chapter 1, verse 7, shared in the partnership. Chapter 4, verse 15, increasing by your account, credit giving, receiving in in business terms. They are partners. 
Now, I want you to think about this just for a little while. In the context, that's how you study the word. You stay in the context, get the sense of how the writer and the receivers must have felt. Now, let me just read this verse from 1 Thessalonians as the report goes out of the gospel work there, which happened shortly after Philippi. As a result, talking to the Thessalonians, you became an example to believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Where was Philippi? In what section? Macedonia. So what was happening? <laughs> the word was traveling. The word was going through Macedonia in the north. It's going to Achaia. And what's so exciting about this church, I, what, what he goes on to say, therefore, we don't need to say anything. Have you ever read, read that? We don't need to say anything. Your testimony is so powerful. Here's my question. How did the believers in Philippi receive that report? With joy? Oh, you bet. You bet. Why? They were partners with Paul in that work. I would have loved to be a partner of the work at Thessalonica. That's one of my favorite works. And the Philippians were. They were. Now, retirement investment. Many are wise in their investments in this life, and that is a good thing. I, I work on that. I have help trying to get my stuff in order for retirement, if that ever happens. But here's the statement. They're wise for that. How much more those who invest eternally. Let me give you a short scenario. I'm here at the church at Philippi, and I come up to the pastor of Philippi. Hey, I see you guys are getting ready to give an offering to Paul. Have you guys ever thought about your retirement investment? And he's looking at me, and he turns around. to, Have you guys ever thought about retirement investment? Hey, Chuck, they want to know what's retirement and what are we supposed to do? Now, I am not down on retirement investment. I told you I've already involved. But I want you to think about this. These people died dirt poor. They had nothing. But I wish God could let us see their eternal account. Because it And so I ask you and I ask myself, what kind of heart do we really have for God's work? This is such a powerful letter when you think through what's going on here and the joy that these poor Philippians had was just incredible. Now, there's something else, though, that's here. This is such a powerful letter. For they have gone out. This is just another verse talking about partnering. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like this that we may be fellow workers for the truth. That's what you're doing when you're praying, when you're giving to people that are involved in ministry. You are entering into your work. That's eternal investment. How are we doing? Here's the other thing. God delights to meet the needs of those who provide for others. 
I have numbers of verses. Given it shall be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. And there's numbers of other verses that talk about the benefits of giving. And then it says, the key verse in Philippians chapter 4, he goes on to say, And my God will supply all your needs according to your riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That's the setting of the verse. And so Paul is exciting. God's going to supply your needs, Philippians. Now I want you to think about Sailorville just for a few seconds. We decided we wanted to do church plants. Church plants cost money. Did you notice that around here? If you would know actual figures for all the church plants, it adds up to quite a bit. And guess what? There's another one coming. Isn't that exciting? You're going to have another opportunity. And, and I, I know, I'm so thankful for Sailorville for their generosity. God has moved generous givers into this congregation. I don't know who they all are, but I know they're there because I see the offerings. So do you think that God will continue to bless Sailorville if they move in that direction? <laughs> I'm pretty sure. And God will burden us to give more than what we normally do. And that will be an eternal investment. Isn't that a good thing to have? Now, as, as you think through that, one of the reasons I was drawn to the church plant was I sat down with Adam the very first time, and he never even talked about Ankeny. For the first half hour, he just talked about missions. And I thought to myself... God wants to start another church that wants to give to other people. And this was God's direction in my life. I want to go. <laughs> it's going to be like a Sailorville church as far as giving is concerned. I'm excited to do that. And you know, that's why we encourage tithing. It's not because we need the money. It's because we want people to get involved and to see and to have eternal rewards. That's what Paul was concerned about for the Philippians. This is a powerful, powerful letter to these people. And I know my time's just about up, but let me just point out one other thing as we come to the end of the letter. If, if you have it, chapter 4, verse 21, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Paul talking to the Philippians. That means there are probably new believers there that Paul did not know. So he greet them all, he says which says that work was continually blessed. The brothers who are with me here in Rome send you greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. I love that. As you said, there were people being saved in Caesar's household. You say, well, how in the world did that happen? Here's a scenario. Paphroditus shows up at the Roman prison. And the Roman guards say, hey, who's that that's visiting you? That's Epaphroditus. Well, where's he from? Well, he, he's from Philippi. It's that small town out there in Macedonia. Well, why did he come? Well, he brought an offering, sort of a humble offering, but he brought it. Well, why did he do that? Paul might have said, well, can I tell you a story? 
about Philippi? Yeah, tell us that story. So they listened to that one, and he said, more important, Paul says, there's one word that describes why that church was doing what it did. Jesus. That's the word. Jesus, the one who died on the cross and gave his all for us to be saved, to be forgiven, to have eternal life. Let me just tell you about Jesus. And guess what? Some of those of Caesar's household were saved. They're sending greetings. So tell me, if you were at the church of Philippi and you got a letter, and it includes the household of Caesar, can you imagine the joy that you would have had to receive that letter? Oh, my word, God's even saving people in Rome. And might be partly they heard a little of the story of what took place here. Exciting. And then he closes the letter saying this, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That's a prayer. Paul starts every letter, ends every letter talking about the grace of God. Paul shares the gospel, but he makes demands of us to live the way we should. But it's all enveloped in the beginning and the end with the grace of God because we are incapable of living a life like this church. And they're not a perfect church, nor are we. But God's grace clearly was powerful in the life of Paul and in the life of the Philippians. Is it powerful in our life? Are we allowing the grace of God, the Spirit of God, to direct us so that there might be eternal rewards? Let's just pray. Father, we thank you so much for this letter. It gives us a little glimpse of the early church, it gives us a glimpse of the Apostle Paul and how focused he was on the well-being of others. And it gives us a great glimpse of the Philippians. It'll be nice to meet some of those people someday. But until then, Father, I pray that you'd help us to follow the examples that were left for us. Father, I pray if there's someone here this morning who doesn't really know Jesus, who doesn't really see the divine energy working in their life, I pray you'd convict them right now. Help them to be honest with themselves, saying, this is just a church thing. I've never experienced any transformation. Then you need to. That's the only way into the kingdom of heaven. Without the transformation, it's not going to happen. So, Father, I pray that if there are some here, that they would make that need known. Father, for us who have experienced that transformation, maybe we're not doing very well in allowing the Spirit of God to lead us. Father, may we run after you. May we desire lives that would bear eternal fruit. And in the end, may we have great, great rejoicing. 
Father, direct us by your Spirit. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.